Hi, JLAG listeners. We are Nicola, Sue, and Andrew, three young politics students and international friends passionate about water affairs and eager to share our views on what's going on around the globe at the moment. Please follow us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also support us via Patreon. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back、Hi. to、uh, Jetlag.、Uh, and、uh, this is our new episode where we'll be looking at what's happening in Myanmar, where turmoil has besieged the country、uh, for quite a long time now, since the military coup、uh, in the last February, on the first February. Am I right?、Yeah. Um, and、uh, so we have seen a month of, from what we have received here through the media, it seems quite a dramatic situation. And、uh, to discuss it today with us today we have Ant.、Uh, am I pronouncing it right? Ant. Yeah, that's right. It's Ant. So、um, if you just want to maybe introduce yourself. Okay.、Uh, hi everyone. I'm Ant, and I'm from Myanmar. I'm currently、um, like participating in a lot of protests here since like the coup has happened. And also, I'm a final year student here studying business English. But <laughs> at this time, I'm kind of like you know,、uh, has, I really has been paused here. So I'm basically. Uh, like resting, protesting, and yeah, trying to cope with the situation here. Welcome, welcome, welcome for welcome. joining us. And,、uh, and okay, thank you for inviting as well.、Uh, no worries, it's a great pleasure. And and as far as I understand, you had also troubles with the internet, right? Yeah, I was struggling with like you know the first part to do this kind of conversation because they have blocked the mobile internet and also some like broadband. Wi-Fi internet for like you know a month now, so we only have like some fiber internet, which is only、uh, accessible、uh, accessible in very very few percentage area of like the whole country. So and even like the available fiber internet is not, is the connections are really going away. You know, there's always like loading. We cannot see the pictures. So yeah, this is a really high situation. Wow, I can only imagine. I mean, nowadays it's so unbelievable to just not have access to to the internet.、Yeah. Um, right. So let's get right into it because I'm very interested to hear about、uh, more about that.、Um, so Sue, if you have any introduction, yeah, I, I'm just uh, uh, very curious. So, and could you please tell us what's the current situation now in Myanmar? And since it was last time Myanmar was in the media, like. It has been a long time, and you guys been cutting out of internet. So what's going on now? All right. So like to kick off the story, everything was going fine, and like we were just like struggling with global pandemic, like other countries before like February one. So on the morning of February one, we heard that、uh, the coup d'état, the military coup d'état is, is happening. And they have detained our current leaders, the current officially elected leaders, and it was such a tra- tragedy. And we were all miserable for like you know the whole country. We were in shock. We were in awe, and we like we didn't know what to do anymore. It was like separate, such a big moment. Since then, many of things has happened in this like two and a half months. Many other things going on everywhere, and everything has changed basically. So since that could happen. Uh, many of us are in opposition of that. We didn't like it. We didn't accept it. So we are trying to,、um, like, try to show our、um, like kind of disapproval of that 
in every possible way. So there, there is like a civil disobedient movement going on where a lot of government states are participating and they're not going to work anymore to show, to show that they, they, they won't obey to the Honda government. And also there, there are many kind of like demonstration and strikes happening everywhere. And, and also there are many police crackdown and also there, like, there's some shot and there's some killing and murdering as well. So like, there's a law going on at, um, at the moment in Myanmar. So currently over nearly 80, 800, 800, sorry, 800, uh, protesters and innocent people has died. The Honda has killed it by, uh, shooting them in heart and also other part of the body. They, they have cracked down very brutally. And also over like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, over like 3,000 to 4,000 people have been detained by just like, you know, for just peacefully, peacefully, um, protesting and voicing out the, our voice for democracy. So, so this is like such an urgent and terrible uh, situation in Myanmar. And we definitely, that we're in need of an international hub and your attention right now. Yeah. Right. Um, wow. That's, that's definitely a uh, tragic account. So, um, yeah, moving on from that, um, I, I would maybe if you could a bit better explain also from, from, from your point of view, because of course these things are always a better maybe explained and understood from the kind of internal point of view. But why, why did the military intervene? Like why, what explanations did the military, uh, establishment give for this coup? Uh, and, and, uh, and also maybe related to that, did the military kind of, um, why didn't the military, uh, foresee this kind of opposition? Uh, what, didn't they see this coming? And, and what reasons did they give for their, for their kind of action? And how did they try to explain this to the people? I think that they, in my personal point of view, they obviously did it to retain power because Myanmar has been, I mean, Myanmar is such a like, gorgeous country, the people are nice, they, we have like many, you know, natural resources, many beautiful scenarios. But then, the truth is that Myanmar is also rooted in detectorship that has been here for such a long time. So, you know, the detectorship has been with us for generations, so it has already rooted and it has already spread out in the whole community. So like, you know, uh, actually, Myanmar has become, like, we can say that Myanmar has become a free country by 2010 when we kind of, like, got democracy and we have our first election, and we have set first our democratically elected, you know, like, leader and stuff. But, like, to be honest, since then, we were never, we, we could never have, like, a real democracy. It was only kind of, like, a very, um, what can I say then? It was not a real one, you know, because like inside the institution, the military is taking power. The military is like taking 20% of the parliament. So they have already the power and only like 80% of the elected members of the government were truly elected, elected during the election. So the military was always like, always say they're always, they're just always trying to do like beyond uh, what can I say? Beyond security of a country. They are always trying to involve in the politics. They are always trying to po- involve in every aspect of the country and although, also the government. So that's why I think they started to, after, you know, committing a genocide in Myanmar and after trying to, you know, run away from it, they are still like committing many crimes and finally, I think like by the time the genocide happened, they will, you know, 
there was like many international pressure and also there were a lot of like conversation going on with that. But I think like they they still ask it and they they kind of like commit enough a, a bigger crime than this. So like I think basically they try to like create the whole narrative that there is like. Uh, something going on with the election. The data also are not right. There, there is some like deception. There's so like there is a big election threat. And kind of like they try to create it. But then also at the same time we are some like election watchers. There are some researcher and expert doing the who like kind of like you know closely study the election. And according to them, there will some mixate in terms of data and information in the election. But then also it was an like and all that they want, there was no such thing a corrupted. There was no such thing a kind of like you know fake in data. So the, the the military like try to you know try to overthrow that narrative and like you know they first like they want the government that to, uh, to kind of like reconsider to do the election again, but they denied it. That's why they they try to seize power and they finally they you know commit a military coup here. Do they, uh, does the military have a clear goal that show to the public this is what we want and do they say that things like that? Uh, they try to convince us in many ways. So at first, like, by the time the coup happened, they kind of promise, uh, to, like, all the citizens that they will be, they will, like, you know, give the power back in one year and they will try to, like, do another election like, within one year period. And then after some time, and they announce again that, okay, in two years, we will give the power back and, you know, and it will be, uh, the, you know, the, the state emergency period will be over. So, like, now they are calling this, like, a state emergency period. So, like, you know, and they, they have created kind of, like, a comedy, a central comedy to rule the whole country, which is, like, comprised of, like, I think mostly, like, the generals and the military leaders, and they are trying to hold the power with them. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, uh, Andrew joined us um, a bit late, but he did. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, welcome, thank Andrew. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> thank you for inviting me as well. It's such an honor. I'm... No worries, no worries. Andrew, you want to say something? Yeah, and thank you so much for doing this and hosting this conversation. I was going to ask, like, what was the narrative they were trying to curate to the, to the people of Myanmar? Is that, like, you know, like... I mean, the, the takeaway of the narrative is that they're, you know, they're the good leaders and only they can save this country. Like, that's what they're trying to do it. And also, they try to, you know, do a lot of propaganda set that the NLD government, the previous government that has been detained, they're trying to divide the country by, you know, it's such a, like, funny narrative that they they will, in like, a week ago, they, they mentioned and, like, they put an article in the, National newspaper that the, the previous government is trying to transform this country into a Muslim country and that like so that they feel that they have responsibility to you know try mm. to maintain the culture and the religion here which is like so toxic and wrong so <laughs> you know I think like maybe like 20 years ago people would believe they are propaganda and they will go for that but now today we have become like more open-eyed open-minded and open-eyed than ever. Like, we won't believe that kind of narrative anymore. Yeah, but still, they're, they're making propaganda and, like, trying to create false narrative every day. I, we can, you can see it on the national news. It's everywhere. 
Yeah. And actually, that's quite interesting because when uh, what you say about like the people changing their, their you know, how they receive uh, uh, this propaganda and this narrative, because I mean, it's not as you say, it's not the first coup that happens in Myanmar. There has yeah. been more than one in the past, and um, and I, I feel like this time. I don't know whether it's, it's you also feel the same, but I feel this time there has been much more reaction to yeah. this than there was maybe. I know that there was also some reaction in the, I think in the 80s, was it? Uh, when yeah. there was a major coup. Yeah. yeah but do you feel that this time people are more kind of, um, they're more, as you say, more aware of the risk that this entails and kind of more attached to uh, their democratic institutions that they have rather than maybe in the past where they accepted the coup more easily or they accepted the, the narrative but from the military more easily than now? Do you think that now people are just, let's say in very simple terms, like easily fed up with this? I will say that, you know, in every generation, there they, they has a coup happen and like, to be honest, we, we were all equally angry and we were all equally like, you know, reacting and responding to this in like different way because it was, it happened at different time. And because I think now we have like technology and we have internet and we, you know, basically, uh, Myanmar has become like more globalized than ever. And we can say that we had like, you know, 10 years of like democracy and we, we were free for 10 years, like from 2010 to 20. We have seen a lot from the war. And at the time, I think there is, there is like an evolution going on within the community, morals of the community as well. I mean, like, especially the, for the young people, we have become more open item than ever because we, we got the opportunity to like communicate with the war, you know, and talk with, you know, different youth from different countries. That's like, you know, that's open many doors for us and also like in terms of our awareness and also like analysis of like how to, how to do a revolution. I think we have improved a lot. But like in terms of courage, dedication and in terms of, uh, how can I say, in terms of like the unity towards, you know, the opposition of the detectorship, we were all equal in, in every revolution that has been happened. But in 2021, we were more educated we are more educated than ever. We are more ever, we are more aware than ever. And also, I think we are smarter than ever. That's like, why should like pushing us really for war and also different from like the previous revolutions? So I think, and, and also another reason is that this has happened multiple times in Myanmar, right? So every time, I think we took lessons from it. So, so this time, like, you know, there were a lot of conversation going on between adults, between young people, and like, I mean, basically between everyone that we try to analyze what was wrong and why, how we feel and why we feel like during the previous revolution. What was the reason that we failed? What was the reason that they won? So like, this time, what can we do? This time, what can we improve? So like, and we try to like, actually execute the improvement. That's why like, the, I mean, even it has been like three months off, like the, since the coup happened, there, the moment that is still there, like it's still going, it's like we're, we're still doing like different way. We're trying, um, like, I mean, uh, we are still, we are, they are adapting, they are changing as well as like we are, we are also like evolving and adapting with the situation going on. So that is like what, what, what it is different about this revolution than the previous one happening anymore. Mm -hmm. And this time surely for sure, we will have to win. 
I think we all like, we are all considering this as, as an end game because this has happened multiple times and this cannot happen. This has already happened to us, the generation that we thought like that this will never happen. So this has happened to us right now. So we are all we are we are kind of like you know passionately and we are very like, determinedly expecting hoping that we could win this so that so that this will not happen again. In our younger generation, like, you know, this can happen for the next, the next, next children. They're, they have to be lucky, luckier than us. You were mentioning, like, young people and people with um, good education becoming uh, smarter or they, they took lessons from the past history. So can you tell us more about who are the oppositions for the military coup now and what do you demand? Like what do young people demand? Do you have a, a collective demand on this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically the people in opposition of this coup are like, of course, like the majority, all of us basically, they're only like, you know, um, I mean like, uh, people from their side and also their families, they, they have to like side with that. But I think mostly like, like people with like, I mean, uh, the general people, like the civilians, like almost all the civilians around here, they are all like in opposition, in opposition of that, like the coup, despite the participation in the strikes or, you know, like utilize, how they're utilizing the voice. So like, uh, I would like to say, yes, mostly the young people, you know, the young folks and, um, yeah, and also like some kind of like, you know, 20-ish, 30-ish, those kind of like people, they are mostly participating and they are like being a big part of the revolution. But it doesn't mean that, you know, the old ones are not in opposition of that. You know, they, and because of the elders, they have already experienced this for multiple sides and they are old and they are not, you know, like physically as not capable of like, the yen. So yeah, we have we feel like we have lost all our dreams overnight since the coup happened. Because I like, I think especially like you know my there are my fellows my friends a lot of my acquaintances that who have like bigger dreams big dreams like uh they I mean like they are always like aiming to go out of like normal CTO type dreams like I want to be a doctor mm-hmm. I want to be an engineer which is like pretty <laughs> famous uh kind of like you know. Expected dreams, and most of most of the people want here. But like nowadays, the user like I want to be an artist, I want to be a scientist, and I want to be like you know an advertising creator, stuff like that. So there are so many things that um like you know young people want to do, and those things can only be done only if we are free, only if like the dictatorship is not here, only if only if like the hunter is not ruling the country and trying to. I mean, like, trying to do whatever they want. So, we know the fact really well. That's why, like, we feel very angry, we feel very devastated, and we feel, you know, loss of our future. And at the same time, it moves us, like, you know, to never keep giving up on, um, like, you know, rising out against this. That's why we came to have, like, a collective voice as one community, one, like, society. So, before like the group have been, you might also have the Myanmar's very uh, racially diverse country. But at the same time, there are a lot of, like civil wars and internet conflicts going on because like basically we are diver- we are a diverse country, but we are not like united enough. So there are a lot of misunderstanding between one minority and another. So but like once this thing happened, it seems like you know everyone came to think of the way that our command enemy is like not just at there is like military who is like you know 
who is like the maker of like the fire, who is like doing all of these things. That's why like, we we became more united, you know. And and then like and like, for take like Rohingya genocide here, for example, when it was happening in the war, you know. I I had to admit that even like, I stayed silent, I didn't voice out enough of that because I didn't care enough about, you know, like learning about that, trying to know in depth about that. I only knew I only saw like what the local government sh- is showing here, what the local media is showing here. So I thought that, okay, so there there, there has to be two sides, you know. Oh, the war is showing this side, the local is showing this side. So it has to be uh, a misunderstanding uh, blah 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 kind of thing. But in reality it really happened and kind of like, you know, the government trying to hide it. And not only the government, the military tried to hide it. They hide it from us, so we didn't, you know, dare to speak up. But by by the time the group happened, all of us came to a realization that, you know, this happened to uh, to them and we still silenced. So we owed them an apology and also, like, you know, we had to admit that we were wrong on that matter. So, like, many people around me, including me, we came, we apologized to, not for speaking out that time. And then, like, they were also responding to, oh, it's okay, oh, we understand you. And then, like, let's, now, like, let's focus on the command enemy, let's be one and, like, strike together and stuff like that. And also, like, even with the other minority as well, we became one. We became one voice, one vision, and... One vision and also we walk together, you know, try to try to take out the hunter from his seat. So that is like the so, so kind of like positive change that you can see despite the crisis event. Yeah. Well, right. you that, that's that's very interesting because um, as you say, I mean, Myanmar has always, as, as far as I know, has suffered from this kind of ethnical conflict, yeah. and I think um, when this kind of this kind of uh, coup that has a very clear, as you say, clear enemy and and a clear kind of, um, you know, there are clear goals that can be pursued by everyone that is like getting getting rid of restoring the democratically elected government when when that when that is at stake, I guess many of the internal divisions may be, you know, uh, dampened or at least uh, relaxed a bit. And, and actually, I wanted to ask something regarding to that. So what is the kind of the, the where do different ethnic groups, you know, stand in relationship to the military, right? So uh, are there any groups that, uh, you know, are there any groups that are more likely to support uh, the coup, the, or is, it, is there a general you know, antagonism, like, so is, is, the, is the, how, so to put it very shortly, like, how isolated is the military? Like, does the military have, um, any alliances or any friends in among, uh, uh, you know, even civilian society or like ethnic groups or certain groups? Or is it kind of fighting alone against everyone? I think there are, so I think we can see, Two types of like ethnic minority here. So, but what I can say beforehand is that we all like, including all those like ethnic minority, differently experienced the brutality of the military before even before this is happening. And 
we are like witnessing is like very, in very different way. So like there are some states who have, have come to an agreement that there will be no more civil war and they will remain silent, where they walk together with the government. But also there's also like some state like Rakai and like Kashin like take example for them uh, mm-hmm. as uh, you know like. There, there is still a lot of like conflict and civil war going on, and people are trying to flee from the war. There, are a lot running away. There, are a lot of deaths. So like, but there, so like, once the coup happens, so so there, there were like two types, uh, as I said. So the first one is that people who so try to like, you know, kind of like they don't support to them, but they are not like involving in the. A revolution as well because they want like a different way so like we now have like a parallel government called national unity government which was which is like established with the officially elected leaders of like, the previous uh, the previous election so they are now the parallel governments so there there are some like ethnic minority who are siding with them who are who are kind of like who have like collaborated with them and like you know or like enter into the government cycle and like you know trying to actively involve in this revolution and also like there are some ethnic minority that who have like a different perspective who have a different a different stand on from the national unity government for example the AA army the Rakhine State army so they are not like you know uh, like going to cooperate with the national unity government because what they want is not a federal democracy. So they want to uh, stand as a separate state. They have to. They want to stand as a, as an independent you know like country. Um, so that's why they do not side with NUG as well as they are not supportive to the military junta as well. So they're just like stand, standing on their own belief and you know, all kind of like morals. But I think that is like um, we can say that there, like most part of the percentage of the ethnic group, we are they are siding with us and also they are fighting for us. So for example, there right now at the moment there are a lot of wars, civil wars going on in Kenyan state. So uh, the Kenyan army and KNU and uh, the military, they are fighting every day. So the KNU is like trying to protect the peaceful protester from the state from being killed by the military. That is absolutely, absolutely fascinating tale. And I was going to ask, with your personal reaction, with your personal situation, like, would you say, is there any link between the conflicts that are now occurring in Myanmar and the conflicts in surrounding countries, for instance, Thailand, for instance, Hong Kong, what's your personal situation? I think we have a lot of talk about that because right now there is a big discussion going on in Myanmar and people are really angry because uh, RCN has led the Honder and they invited Honder to our RCN meeting and they're going to do that mm-hmm. tomorrow in Jakarta. So right now in Myanmar, we are strongly like voicing out against why we, we already have like an, uh, like a, a parallel government fund, which is legitimate and which is also like officially elected. The national unity government and UG is legitimate. So we all, we only want like RCN to invite them, but RCN invite the military hunter instead. So that's why like, I think this is also because uh, according to our assumption, RCN is itself is like comprised of <laughs> countries that are under dictatorship. For example, Thailand, 
um, there, there are under military rule, and also there are some kind of money can be here as well. They are, we can say that, you know, that they may have, they may have democracy, but they are not somehow, they're, they're still like, you know, um, the military involvement in those countries as well. So that's why the government itself, RCN, they are trying to, you know, still silent in this matter. But the people, I think in when it comes to the people, uh, people are, I mean, people from Southeast Asia and our neighbor countries, they are in the same shoe with us. They are fighting for us. Right. In Thailand, they go out on the street for us. Also, like, you know, in other countries as well, the people are very supportive and also they've been sending us a lot of, like, you know, a lot of wars, good wars, and also a lot of, like, uh, they also, like, help donate some uh, money as well. And, but, like, yeah. Uh, in terms of like the, the government, the surrounding countries here, they, I mean, they're not doing enough. They have, they could have done more. And also there are some countries, especially, I have to say this, but, uh, we feel like sometimes like China, Russia, they're, they're, they, they're a lot of inter- interference. They're, you know, they're involving in this case. They are siding with military. They are trying to support weapons. And also even in the UN, China is like sided with them and they are using their power to oppress this matter from being, you know, from being, from being taken an action. So I think. I think what you, what you see, I think as a parallel to maybe uh, the, the other kind of, um, protests or opposition movement you have seen in Thailand and, um, in other such uh, countries is that kind of, Reaction to it seems to me to a, a, um, a system of uh, you may say a system of government, but a, a political system that is a bit anachronistic, that is a bit kind of out of touch with the perceptions of what is right uh, in in today's world, I guess, because you see yeah. all these you know younger people, especially as you say, going onto the street and kind of demanding um and being also more assertive in their demands for uh something that uh, against something they feel is not anymore um mm. acceptable uh, in this uh, in this uh, in these times especially you know as as you say like when there is such broad communication abilities and and, and possibilities that uh, it is very hard to like uh, close everyone into their own you know bubbles um, and uh, and definitely, I, I, if you look at it from a kind of broader point of view, you definitely see a bit of this domino effect where, uh, you know, across, especially recently across Southeast Asia, I mean, every yeah. few months there is something new going on. And um, and I guess, uh, and on that note, maybe it could be interesting to, to hear from you um, in terms of the actual, you know, going on the streets and doing things. Um, do you see like uh, maybe if you can tell us maybe some of your experiences in that as well and and maybe do you, do you feel like uh, there is some learning happening from what is happening in Thailand or what's happening in Hong Kong and actually from the point of view of strategies you know yeah so I have to say that uh, the previous protests the recent previous protests have been in Hong Kong and Thailand inspired as a law and we we had to imitate, you know, we had to imitate a lot of their good ways in this revolution. So I think that is also a spread and also a success of an online, of like political movement called Mikti Alliance. So it started with like, I think Hong Kong, Thailand, India, 
uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. like some country. So like you know the protester from and the netizen, the netizen and protester from like those country, they try to communicate with each other and they share their you know expertise and practices or like how they you know try to win a revolution. And I did this that movement spread to Myanmar as soon as like the coup happened. What I what can I also like highlight as a takeaway is that the way we strike has dramatically improved and evolved. Uh, allow with the situation and the response from the military. So that uh, I have to say that uh, the strike, the demonstration, was pretty peaceful and it was very kind of. There were a lot of like big crowd until the end of February, and we went out every day. And so, like you know, especially like the young people, the Gen Z, there were a lot of like conversation about that. The Gen Z people, we try to use like very creative way, very different way from like the traditional kind of like demonstrating demonstration ways to draw the international attention and media attention to us. So we use like different podcasts. We try to quote write like different, very creative quote, very like. Kind of like you know, memeable, very like you know, tourable quote on those of mm-hmm. like black air, and we try to show up, and also like in terms of how we dress, we try to dress up like you know, sometimes Disney princess, sometimes like you know, superhero, like just like to draw attention, and we are doing it very creatively and differently because like, I think um, we didn't want people. You know, to go just to go the same way and every day again. You know, if we, if you are just holding the the same kind every day and shouting the same voice every day, I think people will get tired of it, right? So our strategy was that we have to be different every day. So it was like pretty, how can I? It pretty overwhelming and pretty, how can I say? Pretty very. It's like it's, a, it's such a bright moment to see that big amount of people. You know, coming out to the street because like we have COVID happened for a year. We have we haven't seen any crowd, and all of a sudden, I have seen the biggest crowd in my life ever. And like they were so united, we were so kind of like we were really angry, and we were all saying it. I can hear it. And I think starting from the first uh, like you know since like it arrived to March, or starting for like first March, they started like detaining, arresting people. So they started trying to catch us and detain us, and they put us, they put us into jails and prison without like any proper reason. Since then, we have also evolved as well. And like instead of like holding the protest, and we talk with you know a lot of friends from Hong Kong and Thailand, you know how to how to use a Molotov, how to how to wear the safety gear, and how to you know fight by the police, how to create the barricade. And since then, in you can you can pretty much see that in every neighborhood who, who of like Yango and other city, we build like high barricades, and we try to like you know defend ourselves. By wearing safety gears, by wearing like helmet, by wearing googles, and we play barricades. And since then, the crackdown has happened. So police, like they started shooting tear gas, they started to shoot us with like rubber bullet. So at first, like we resisted them because it was just like rubber bullets and tear gas. We can say like, no, even though we have no training on like how to fight back. Like I mean, like most of us, like you know, had to. Ran along and hide in different places. We kind of like you know cooperate with uh, the residents from different neighborhoods. They are also like very helpful to us. They are they are also also like, willing to have the all the protesters here. We had we have to run you know and hide in like you know stranger house 
and they they hide us from the military. So like, and since then the crackdown has become worse and worse. And finally, instead of like rubber bullet, I think they started killing people with the real bullet. I mean, it's it's still on a moment and not right now. The way we that we strike. So I stopped. I stop. I already stopped going out on the street and strike because it's too dangerous right now, and there are only very few people. So you know the risk of like getting detained, getting arrested, or even getting killed is very high. So I had to stop it. And what I'm doing right now is that oh, we have this kind of like peaceful strike. What you can do at home. So it's like stay at home thing when COVID happens. So we have like you know we have. Those rights that we do it at home, like for example, during Easter, we draw some kind of, we we kind of we draw some painting on Easter ad, and we write like lines like we want democracy on Easter ad, and we strike. And also there was also another strike or silence strike. So it was like the opposite strike of what we are what we have done before. So we basically went out on the street, but but on that day, on the silence strike day, everyone stayed at home. And everyone didn't go to war, even though it's not weekend or it's not public holiday. So, like, we try to show them that you know we have shut down the magazine. I mean, and the the activity of the city, and we are in opposition to that and stuff like that. And also, yes, mm-hmm. every day there are still many, uh, I, I mean, like mini demonstration and strike going on in different way. Mm-hmm. But also another thing that we do, like since February first. Is that we are still banging the parts and bands. So you might, I think you might, you might have heard of it, right? So every night at 8 p.m., we ban our parts and pants to, you know, to show our opposition to, to them. Can you tell us how did you organize all these events? Like, um, the demonstrations at the first place. How did you know that we are going on the street tomorrow? And do you, do you organize all these activities online or? Do you have a like actual leader in these activities?、Mm, yeah, so like to to talk about that, I think we have to say that you know this revolution in the during this revolution, I mean it's very there is another significant of this revolution from the previous one that is like we have no obvious leaders. So during like eighty eighty eight uprising and other other like you know revolution happening in Myanmar, there is always like the face of the revolution, you know the people who lead it. But like by the time the group had been back in February, what is so special about this revolution is that there was no kind of like you know significant or like you know starting leader, starting leader who is leading this. We are all at the time we were all all the same shoes, so we all just go out and we listen to each other. You know, we listen to each other criticism and we try to analyze together who will be the best solution for us. So basically, we share it online. So like all the young people, we write about our opinion. Okay, we should do this to show our opposition. We should strike this way. We should get. We should use this kind of strategy, and we should like read this kind of you know awareness to prepare in ahead、uh, in advance, like you know doing what you do doing that strike stuff like that. And so it it can be called like a collective leadership happen. Here, so we are all leader. We were all follower. We listen to each other, and mostly we gather like all the information online. But like. Immediately after the coup,、uh, the junta, the military junta, they banned the internet. They banned, they cut off the internet. But we will stay communicating through SMS, and also like they banned, they have banned the social media. We cannot use Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, Twitter without, without what, without 
without VPN. And also, what's so special about Myanmar, when, it, when we talk about the netizing, the online community here is that, but right before this coup, we are not quite familiar, we are not really familiar with Twitter here. So Twitter is a really, really very useful platform for like political kind of like uh, petition and, you know, conversation and like, I think like current issues, right? But here, like we only use Facebook, which is pretty popular. But like since I could have been, most of the netizens we try to you know set using Twitter and still like try to trend like different hashtags in every every day. Well, wow, that was that is definitely an, an interesting story that you're telling there, um, and um, it's quite touching as well. I mean, it's quite inspiring. Um, it, and I think a, a very interesting thing is that the, the, the idea of striking, you know, the silent strike you were telling about that, that is, you know, very simply put, is that how can the military control the country without, you know, having people going to work or, you know, basic services functioning? And I think that's that's definitely a very, you know, very effective, uh, you know, strategy to kind of paralyze the country and therefore removing uh, the ability to to control from from the, the basically from the military that that loses control over the country that that's quite interesting and all the students here like especially in my university and other universities as well we came to an agreement that as long as the detector is like on the throne we will white call the education here so we won't go to school and also the teachers uh, the teacher hours, they are not going to school as well. They are not working for the government. They are just staying at home. Some of them, some of them have to go away because they participate in CDM. So if the school open, I think the student here will not go to see, uh, like the school as the part of CDM. So basically, and also we are not paying the bills since the coup happened. I think we are prepared for it. Yeah. Somehow, mentally prepared for it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm doing um, gender politics, so I have to ask the question. Have you noticed any difference in this uh, revolution in Myanmar now? What's women's role and reaction in the conflict? I mean, I have to admit that I'm seeing a lot of strong and brave women around me and who have, like, came to, like, take a space in the society and, like, became a good leader. So uh, what is – or there, there's also another interesting – Thing, thing about this revolution to um, uh, mention regarding with the role of the woman here. So by the time we were doing the strikes, there was uh, we were also like having the dialogue and also anchor a big encouragement on the internet that you know while we were fighting for the detect, fighting to the detectorship, we all we will uh, we have to also fight those stereotype and those kind of like conservativeness that came along with. Uh, uh, detectorship. For example, the forced masculinity and also the oppression on the woman, on the role of the woman. So there was a pretty interesting strike that is called Tamay, Longji strike. So, so basically Longji is like the, the bottom way of the woman here. So it's a traditional bottom way. And in Myanmar, most of the older people and very conservative people, they consider Longji their they are kind of like the object that can kind of oppress the power of men. So like, if you're a man, if you go and there, uh, you know, Longji, if you put Longji to your head, uh, they said that, it is said that you will go powerless or you will go unfortunate or unlucky because it has taken away your, 
your 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 power and nonsense like that, right? And but during during this ride, there was one day that we tried, you know, we we fought the stereotype by hanging Longhi as a flag and we waved that. And also there were also young guys and young men. We put uh, we put Longhi and on our head and we took a photo and take. And we took a selfie and like posted on our social media and we showed that okay, uh, this, we are doing this, but we're really fine and you know we accept for gender equality. And also, yeah, there are many conversations about feminism and the uh, the woman role. And also, um, currently there is like uh, the um, there is a history made with the government, especially the national unity government that I said, the legitimate government. They have they have hired. A woman, a young woman who is a democracy, pro-democracy activist, and also she was an activist in Rohingya crisis. So she's like one of the faces of this revolution. They gave her, they they appointed her as a deputy minister of like you and woman department, and she became she just became like the youngest minister ever here in history. So like we can obviously obviously see the role of women here and also even when we were striking I can see that there are a lot of girls, young girls and women in the front line. They are holding the sheet, they are wearing the safety gear and they are mm-hmm. they're staying in the front line, you know, as equally as men do and we are so appreciative of that and yeah, I mean it has become more equal than ever the role of women has significantly I mean, it's, it, it, it always has to be equal, but now we have came to a realization that it has to happen. So we are accepting, we are more open-minded, and yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good thing to happen. Right. But at the same sure, time, there is also, like, I have to say this a bit, uh, there is also a bad news happen here, kind of, because, like, so they arrested, like, some young girls, right, some young protesters, and there was like some girl who were brutally beaten and they were like shown as a criminal on the national TV. By the time their face like they de- they they didn't look even like their real face anymore. They were there were there were the walls everywhere. So like and also there has been rumor flying around that those rumors were like sexually harassed in the in the prison while being interviewed by the military dogs. So it is like a pretty bad thing going on here. So it just the the rumors were flying around last night, and it's confirmed to be the the the, the true information. I mean the right news, and we are really I mean in tragedy, and also we are really in anger that um I mean some day they have to go go through. There's there are also some of my friends and also acquaintances who are in prison right now, and even though they come in out, they they just like go out on the street and strike peacefully, but. Uh, like I I I guess like there are some chances that they will be sentenced to prison for like say three years, seven years, and stuff like that. I mean, so that that's why like we have to win this. Only if we win this, those detainees will be released or not. They will they will spend their like precious time. I mean, like the, especially the young people, they will spend like their 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 time like to study in university. Instead, like in prison, so that so we have to win in a national. Well, yeah. I, I, I really admire I really admire the courage of, of people when in these situations. Uh, we admire your courage in telling yeah. the story. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's, um, and we'll be with her with you in spirit. It's such an honor to have. Really you wish that, yeah. To, to have you today, um, 
talking about this, and I think it's important that uh, this this kind of uh, information and stories get out uh, and and are spread out in order for everyone to to hear what is because sometimes I guess so much is going on in the world and people just easily forget uh, what's happening in other parts, especially in this in this moment of pandemic and stuff. So I guess. Uh, it's important, and and uh, I think it's, it was really a great conversation today. Um, so. Thank you very, Thank you very much. much. Thank you so much. Me, yeah, letting me talk here. Let me like amplify my voice. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye bye. Hope to see you soon. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting us. Of course. Please take care. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay bye safe. bye. Yeah. Bye now. Stay safe. Bye bye.